Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Julianne, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Resolute Forest Products' third quarter earnings call. Marianne Limoges, Treasurer and Vice President of Investor Relations, the floor is yours. Thank you, Julianne. Good morning, and welcome to Resolute's third quarter earnings call. Today, we'll hear from Rémi Lalonde, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Sylvain Girard, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. You can follow along with the slides for today's presentation by logging on our website. We do have a little issue with the webcast this morning, but the slides should be available on our website if you want to consult them uh, during the call. Uh, and uh, you can go and follow the link of the presentation and webcast under the Investor Relations section of our website. And you can also download the slides. Today's presentation will include the non-US GAAP financial information, our press release and the appendix to the slides include a reconciliation of non-GAAP information to U.S. GAAP financial measures. We will also make forward-looking statements. Forward-looking information is based on our current assumptions, beliefs, and expectations, all of which involve a number of business risks and uncertainties and can change as conditions do. Please review the cautionary statements in our press release and on slide two of today's presentation. I will turn the call over to Remy. All right, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Apologies for the issues with the slides. We're trying to get them up for those of you on the webcast here as soon as possible. Uh, today, we report a $144 million of adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter, compared to $445 million in the second quarter. Coming off the record highs in benchmark lumber prices reached in May, this quarter's results reflect the sizable impact of peak prices converging back toward trend. For their part, our pulp and paper businesses built on the momentum of the second quarter with strong pulp shipments and higher transaction prices in both segments. By segment, we reported adjusted EBITDA of $75 million for wood products, down by $340 million, $52 million in market pulp, up by 16, minus $4 million for tissue, down by 1 and $31 million in paper, up by 22. This quarter, we paid a $1 per share special cash dividend, and we also repurchased 1.2 million shares at an average price of $10.95. Let's look at the individual businesses, starting with wood products. The third quarter U.S. housing starts came in at 1.6 million on a seasonally adjusted annual basis, similar to the previous quarter. Having cooled off significantly during summer months, our sales to home improvement centers picked up nicely heading into the traditional busy season, which we think speaks to the underlying resiliency of the repair and remodel channel. Our average transaction price fell in Q1 to $573 per thousand board feet, a $583 or 50% decrease compared to the previous quarter. Shipments were 64 million board feet lower at 511 million, reflecting lower demand 
capital projects downtime, vacation accommodation, and pandemic-related workforce availability constraints in the U.S. South. Finished goods inventory increased to 129 million board feet. World demand for chemical pulp was 3% lower in the first eight months of the year compared to the same period last year, reflecting a 3% decrease in softwood and a 5% decrease in hardwood. Almost all of the drop reflects the 7% reduction in demand from China, which has deteriorated over the course of the year, partly as a result of destocking and more recently as a result of energy-related end-user uh, end downtime. This has also caused an increase in producer inventories heading into a busier maintenance outage period. Through August, global industry average operating rates were 88% for softwood and 89% for hardwood. Our average transaction price rose to a historical high of $826 per metric ton in the quarter, an increase of 5% from Q2. We saw appreciable gains across all grades, but mostly for fluff and hardwood, and mostly in North America, which represents approximately 80% of our total pulp shipments. Our shipments also increased by 30,000 metric tons as a result of inventory changes, and finished goods inventory fell to 52,000 metric tons. Through August, at-home tissue shipments were down by 11% from 2020 levels, while away-from-home shipments were up by 4% against their historically low levels of 2020. The business faced a slow recovery for commercial consumption and this year's inventory rebalancing, in addition to pandemic-related headwinds with labor availability and logistics constraints. Our average transaction price decreased by $60 per short ton, or 3%, due to unfavorable product mix as we mitigated the impact of the headwinds by selling more pair of rolls and in a lower grade. We recorded production downtime of 3,500 short tons in the quarter, 3,000 fewer than Q2. As a result, our shipments rose by 4,000 short tons and finished goods inventory fell by 2,000. The headwinds I mentioned, combined with the year-to-date $5 million of ramp-up costs at the recently acquired Hagerstown converting facility, unfortunately overshadowed the performance of Calhoun Tissue, which was profitable in Q3. In Q2 and Q3 of this year, world demand for newsprint and North American demand for uncoated mechanical papers have been higher compared to the same periods of the pandemic-affected 2020. Conditions in uncoated mechanical papers have been particularly strong, with demand up by 4% so far this year, partly as a result of substitution down from coated grades. Through September, the shipment to capacity ratio for North American newsprint was 94% compared to 82% last year, while uncoated mechanical paper was 89% compared to 73% a year ago. The average transaction price in our paper segment increased by $54 per metric ton during the quarter, or 9%, 
with gains in all grades as the tighter supply and demand dynamics helped the recovery from the impact of the pandemic. But our shipments were 18,000 metric tons lower this quarter and finished goods inventory remained unchanged at 72,000 metric tons, reflecting a destocking effort in prior periods. EBITDA for the segment improved by $22 million to $31 million. I will now have Sylvain discuss our financial performance. Thank you, Remy. Uh, we're now on page 10. Uh, we reported net income of $67 million in the third quarter, or $0.84 cents per diluted share, excluding special items. This compares to net income excluding special items of $300 million, or $3.74 per diluted share in the previous quarter, and net income excluding special items of $62 million, or $0.72 cents per diluted share in the same period last year. Special items in the quarter, uh, mostly related to $12 million in foreign currency translation gains, and $8 million of equity income, mostly from our iJoyce partnership. Total sales in the quarter were $817 million, down by $323 million, compared to the previous quarter due to lower realized market prices and shipments in wood products, partly offset by higher realized pulp and paper prices and higher pulp volume. Total costs were similar to the previous quarter on a consolidated basis after removing the impact of volume and foreign exchange. Compared to the previous quarter, the all-in delivered costs for the wood product segment declined by $4 per thousand board feet, or 1%, due to gradually falling stumpage fees. EBITDA in the segment decreased by $340 million to $75 million. In the market pulp segment, the delivered cost was unchanged in the quarter at $665 per metric ton, reflecting higher maintenance and energy costs diluted by higher shipments. EBITDA in the segment uh, improved by $16 million to $52 million. The delivered cost in tissue improved by $109 per short ton, or 5%, due to lower downtime. EBITDA for the segment fell by $1 million to negative $4 million. Paper's delivered cost was unchanged due to lower maintenance costs from plant outages in the previous quarter, offset by higher chemical and energy costs. Segment EBITDA improved by $22 million to $31 million. Moving on to page 12, uh, we generated $105 million of cash from operating activities in the quarter and invested $32 million in capital projects for a total of $79 million year-to-date. Due to supply chain delays and limited contractor availability, we now expect our CapEx investments this year to reach approximately $110 million, down from our previously disclosed estimate of $125 million. With $119 million of quarter-end cash, liquidity stand stood at $930 million and net debt at $184 million. We made $39 million in softwood lumber duty deposits in the quarter, bringing our total deposits to $371 million at quarter end, which is recorded in other assets on the balance sheet. We took advantage of market conditions to repurchase over 1.2 million shares in the quarter at an average price of $10.95. We also paid the special cash dividend of $1 per share of common stock, or $79 million in aggregate, on July 7th to holders of record at the close of business on June 28th. Finally, we contributed 
$28 million to pension plans in the quarter and made OPEP payments of $2 million. With higher long-term interest rates and positive gains from investments, our gross pension funding deficit was $457 million, a $172 million improvement compared to the $629 million funding deficit disclosed at year-end. As discussed during the last earnings call, we reduced our expectations for 2021 pension contributions from $120 million to $107 million. We expect the 2022 contributions to be about $95 million based on current market conditions. In accordance with U.S. GAAP, the accounting figures will be remeasured only with year-end results, but based on current market conditions, we would expect the accounting deficit to reduce significantly. I'll pass it on to Remy. After a peak-to-trough swing of roughly $1,000 per thousand board feet in the third quarter, lumber prices seem to have stabilized at above-trend levels on a pre-duties basis. In the coming quarter, we're looking for higher lumber shipments and slightly lower fiber costs, but considering the path of market prices, we could see a quarter-over-quarter reduction in average transaction price. We expect paper realized prices to build on their third quarter momentum in the seasonally busier fourth quarter. Even as market pulp conditions have been very strong, particularly in North America and Europe, energy-related end-user downtime in China is slowing global demand and adding downward pressure on prices and volume. For both the pulp and paper segments, we expect an uptick in overall costs as a result of higher energy and chemical prices, as well as freight costs. For tissue, we expect to see gradually improving pricing and costs as we improve product mix and uptime, even as we continue to face slowly recovering markets, as well as logistics and labor availability challenges. The team's focus remains on driving improvements to leverage our integrated pulp advantage and bring to light the value of the assets. I'd like to close with a few words from my friend Jacques Vachon, who will be retiring as Senior VP for Corporate Affairs and Chief Legal Officer at the end of the year after a 36-year career with Resolute, which he started as a lawyer in Quebec City. As a member of the executive team for almost 25 years, Jacques has played an instrumental role in shaping the Resolute of today. On behalf of the board and the executive team, past and present, I want to thank Jacques for his many years of loyal service to the company. As an executive, he has been the guardian of this company's moral compass for decades. We all join to wish him a happy, healthy, and well-deserved retirement with his wife, Brigitte, and their family. Jacques has agreed to stay on on a part-time basis as a special advisor to me. By the same token, I'm thrilled to welcome Stéphanie Leclerc to the executive team. She has been with Resolute for 20 years, has outstanding credentials, and as our Vice President for Legal Affairs for nearly 15 years, her experience covers the full range of practice areas, including transactional governance, litigation, commercial, and public policy. She's equal parts brilliant lawyer and practical business person, and as such, there's no better candidate to succeed Jacques as our next Senior Vice President for Corporate Affairs and Chief Legal Officer. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, 
and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This concludes our formal presentation. Operator will now open the call for questions. Thank you. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star one again. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Sean Stewart from TD Securities. Please go ahead, your line is open. Thank you, good morning everyone. Uh, a few questions, uh, good morning. Uh, Remy, uh, look, I wanna start with tissue. Uh, encouraged to see that, that Calhoun is, is profitable. Can you give us some context when you, when you use that term? Is that EBITDA positive? Is it operating earnings positive at Calhoun? What's the context for profitability there? I think about it on uh, on an EBITDA basis, uh, Sean, and I think it's important to underscore because uh, you know there were some pretty significant challenges in uh, in the tissue business uh, in uh, in the third quarter, including some downtime uh, as a result of the pandemic. Uh, there were challenges also with uh, labor availability and uh, some logistics constraints. Um, so the headwinds were fairly strong. So when I think of profitability, I think about uh, EBITDA profitability. Okay. And I know there's a lot of moving pieces for that that business, that many of which are out of your control. But from a broader perspective, what's your thinking on a transition to overall profitability for that segment? And then presuming you can you can turn the the margins around there, does the overall scale of that business make sense for Resolute? Is it just a matter of adding more converting capacity? Uh, how do you think about the ultimate strategy for the tissue segment? Yeah. Well, I'll remind us, Sean, that last year we made $17 million of EBITDA with the tissue business. Um, and I think we can still do uh, better than that. Uh, we continue to improve on a number of, uh, of levels. I think what's, what's key for the business is that the, the quality is there uh, and the productivity is now established, measurable, and demonstrable. So the business case for Resolute in Tissue is to integrate pulp into downstream uh, margins that are more stable over, over the cycle. So I think the business case uh, makes sense. Where we need to continue to do better is around the execution. So uh, we acquired Hagerstown in December of last year to fill part of a converting gap that we had with parent rolls we were making in uh, Calhoun that we could not convert. Um, and then the, the after effects or the late effects of the pandemic uh, this year have made things uh, pretty pretty challenging. So what I see on the path ahead. Uh, especially in the coming quarter here as product mix uh, improves uh, and we uh, hopefully get through the uh, challenges of the pandemic, uh, we'll be able to convert more, we'll be able to diversify the portfolio more, and then we should be able to drive more profitability uh, from that. That's great detail. Thanks, Remy. Um, second question, maybe for Sylvain, uh, the CapEx budget appreciate there's some deferrals for this year. 
any initial views on what 2022 might look like and uh, context on the, the sawmill discretionary spending program? Appreciate its early days there, but uh, how is that unfolding as, as it moves forward? So good question, uh, Sean. Actually, we're we're working through our budget at the moment, so we're still defining where that's setting. But it's clear that some of the delays of this year will will aim to catch them up uh, next year. Uh, you know, we announced back in Q2 a number of programs which we started. You know, some in the U.S. South and some in uh, some in Canada, in Quebec uh, and Ontario, actually. Uh, so those have started, but but like we said uh, in the remarks, uh, it's a it's a difficult environment from subcontractors. So we're trying to balance, you know, making sure we don't overpay for 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 services and stuff, and getting progress on those projects because they are very good projects. So so I suspect uh, next year will be uh, will be higher than this year because of this uh, this delay that uh, delay in spending that we have right now. Uh, but uh, we're still finalizing the extent of that, uh, of those numbers. Uh, the second part of your question related to our investment on the U.S. South and the startup of El Dorado, for example. Is that what you meant? Or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's moving along, actually. And, and, and uh, what's happened in the third quarter with the lower demand, we, uh, uh, we took advantage of that to, to, to do some of the work that required uh, operations to slow down or even stop for, for, for a few days and it takes some downtime on that. So we're still committed to all that. El Dorado is, uh, is operating at about one and a half shift right now. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of going well, I would say, and it's allowing us to, uh, to step back after a very busy start of the year there. We, we try to maximize production. Uh, to really optimize uh, for the go-forward basis. Yeah, I, might, I might add uh, to that, Sean, as far as El Dorado is concerned. So as Sylvain said, we started running logs through in December and actually started making sales in Q1. Throughput at the facility is up about 40% uh, as of uh, September, October versus uh, the average of Q1. So we are making good progress, as Sylvain said. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, okay, that's all I have for now. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Your next question comes from Hamir Patel from CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, good morning. morning Remy, given the, given the strong uh, liquidity you guys have and all the tax assets um, in the U.S., how are you feeling about the potential for more lumber M&A, given you know, maybe what you're seeing in the market and, and some of the recent uh, uh, transaction values we've seen in the U.S. South? Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a very good question, Hamir, and, um, you know, I, I think I would underscore that, um, you know, we have said that lumber is going to be a key pillar of our transformation strategy, and that remains the case. We've indicated that uh, the U.S. South was of uh, particular interest for us. Uh, certainly with some of the assets that we've seen transact, I think expectations uh, on valuation have, uh, have, uh, have increased. Um, you know, our approach for M&A is, uh, is always going to be the same. Uh, you know, we think that the valuation has to make sense uh, for us, uh, and, uh, and um, you know, there has to be an additional benefit, whether it's through synergies or, or operational gains, uh, for us to seize there. But you're, you're correct to point out that, you know, as far as we think about it, with the sizable tax asset that we have, uh, that is a synergy that we can bring 
uh, to a potential transaction that not any, not necessarily everybody can. Great. Uh, thanks, Remy. That's helpful. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, in British Columbia, we've seen the government uh, move to restrict uh, old growth uh, logging in, in some parts of the province. What what impact do you think that could have on the overall lumber market? Um, yeah, so, I mean, we don't operate in BC, Hamir, so I, I, I'm not uh, an expert on, uh, on how things develop there. I have read uh, some things about potentially limiting the availability of fiber. I mean, if you think about where we are as, uh, as an industry, particularly in Canada, uh, fiber availability is one of the key challenges that, uh, that we as an industry have. Uh, I would tell you that on the uh, on the eastern seaboard in Quebec uh, and in Ontario, where we operate, we have pretty good visibility on uh, on fiber availability. But the trend uh, for the industry is is uh, higher fiber costs, particular in BC. So I think the way I would think about it is that um, you know anything that that um, that reduces or uh, calls into question the access to fiber. Uh, will uh, you know could have an impact on on, uh, on fiber availability and fiber costs, uh, which ultimately will get reflected into into prices. And I think that if you look at where uh, prices have trended since we've come off the peak, uh, the trough seems to be higher compared to where the trough was, uh, say, in the last ten years uh, before the the peak. And I think. The key difference between those points uh, is probably Canadian fiber costs, uh, and I would add also duties. Fair enough. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for me. That's, uh, that's all I had. I'll, I'll turn it over. Thanks, Amir. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Paul Quinn from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks very much, and uh, morning, guys. Just uh, morning. maybe I'll start start on the paper side because I'm kind of curious as to the guidance. It looks like you're guiding for for the Q3 momentum to to continue in a Q4. So, is that anticipating a higher Q4? You know, which traditionally is a you know seasonal decline. Well, we we are expecting gains uh, in prices in Q4. The, the conditions for for paper, uh, Paul, are uh, are actually very, very tight right now. Uh, I think what we've seen in the last year is that capacity has uh, come out, uh, and as the economy has been on a path to recovery, uh, the demand has not come down as much as capacity has. So we're seeing uh, some, uh, some demand pull against a fairly tight supply, and that's pushing prices up. So, yes, we see prices uh, higher in, uh, in Q4. Um, I'll remind uh, us, and, and I think this is the point of your question, that Q4 costs tend to be higher uh, for, for seasonal factors. So while we may see higher prices, there will be higher costs as well, particularly in this uh, inflationary environment where energy prices and, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, chemicals and freight are also a little bit higher. Okay, so at the end of the day, the, the, the gains in pricing are going to be offset by the, the increase in cost and, and the higher Canadian dollar? I think that's, that, that could very well be the case for Q4, uh, but I'm hoping that price will be sticky for longer. Okay, keep those fingers crossed. Um, maybe just uh, switching over to the lumber, uh, 
you mentioned slightly higher shipments in, in Q4, which, you know, again, generally is a, is a harder production quarter. Is that because there's less overall shuts despite the holiday shuts in Christmas? Well, so what, what we're thinking about, though, Paul, is against Q3. And in Q3, we did reduce our shipments by $64 million, uh, as a result of uh, the list that we mentioned, capital uh, projects, downtime, vacation accommodation, uh, and also some workforce availability. So when compared to Q3, we expect our shipments to uh, to go up. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen is, um, you know, we, we were kind of joking that the quietest place to hang out on a Saturday afternoon this summer was a big box store. Um, but the reality is that our, our shipments uh, since the trough of this summer to the box stores uh, has increased, uh, you know, very well. Uh, back to, I would say, pre-pandemic levels. Um, so we think that speaks to the continued strength around repair and remodel uh, and also uh, home building, which, um, you know, in, uh, in the south is not as affected by the weather that you and I have to put up with. Okay, and then just uh, shifting over to pulp, I mean, we're seeing, you know, pricing uh, really starting to, to, yep. to be... Uh, Come down significantly in China, and and, uh, and you know that'll resonate to other parts of the world. How bad do you think pulp markets will get? You know, over the next six to twelve months. Yeah, no, I, you're you're correct. I mean, we there has been growing pressure. I mean, what we see ultimately is what's in our own order book, eighty uh, percent of which is in North America. Uh, having said that, China is 40% of the market, and uh, uh, they're destocking in the last couple months, and the end-user uh, downtime is putting downward pressure on pulp prices. I think there's a couple factors, uh, Paul, that I think about. One that's not clear to me is whether the lower demand uh, that we see in China is deferred or destroyed. Uh, I don't know the balance between those, those two. Uh, the reality is that we're in an environment where the logistics are uh, constrained. Uh, there's also in the fourth uh, quarter the seasonally higher maintenance outages that play into it. And we also see, especially in North America, higher demand for tissue uh, and, uh, and printing and writing. On the other hand, uh, we do see higher producer inventories, as, as you've pointed out before as well. Uh, and there is the looming, uh, you know, increase in Latin American capacity. So our expectation for the fourth quarter is we're probably in, probably going to lose uh, a couple dollars, but I don't expect it to be, uh, you know, uh, more than uh, – uh, I don't expect to lose the gains that we've gained uh, so far this year. Okay. Um, and then uh, just, just uh, back onto tissue, following up Sean's question. I mean, if we sit back – and look at this tissue business. I mean, you invested over 270 million back in in 2017. Four years later, you know, we're we're happy that it's profitable in in Q3. And I suspect that, you know, the total investment is is probably north of, of 300 million. Um, you know, Remy, you say 17 million in EBITDA in 2020. You know, with a incredible uh, tissue year for for the market, something we've never seen before. So. You know, is this a business that you can actually get back to, you know, making cost of capital, uh, you know, and, and and what do you think that timeline is, if, if, if that's the case? 
Well, I think that there's a couple things that uh, that need to happen, and you know, I'll, again, I'll remind us the advantages is the integration to pull, uh, you know, for us. So we do not have the vulnerability that perhaps other tissue producers might have as far as uh, as the cyclical nature of pulp. And so we can build on that. We also have a cost advantage for that integration, particularly in Calhoun. Um, my, my goal in saying $17 million for last year wasn't to set the high watermark. I think it's something we need to build on. I think the opportunities for us are really around uh, increasing the converting throughput. You know, I mentioned that we acquired a converting facility at the end of last year, uh, and then improving the diversification of our portfolio. Um, and so the reality is that this year has been pretty challenging. Uh, labor availability is is a big, big challenge for not just us, but a lot of people. And, you know, as far as logistics, just to put a number on it, 90% of our business is customer pickup. Um, so it's something over which, unfortunately, we don't uh, have as much control as we might have in another business. So, I mean, I, I think, Paul, that, um, you know, it, it won't be next year, but I think that we can we can get uh, to respectable EBITDA for, uh, for that business. Uh, we just need to keep uh, focusing, and I think, as I indicated before, the quality of the product is there. The production is consistent, it's understood, and it's measurable, and there's, ups there's upside for us to go and, uh, and chase. So it's just about execution, and, uh, and uh, we just need to keep uh, driving to bring to light the value of the assets. Alrighty. That's all I had. Best of luck, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. We have no further questions. I would like to turn the call over to Marianne Limoges for closing remarks. Okay, thank you. We would like to apologize again for the technical issues with the slides uh, today. Uh, we've been able to resolve uh, the issue within the, next, the first few minutes of the call, but I would like to remind you that the presentation is always available on our website for download if you wish to, uh, to consult them. In closing, we'd like to thank you for attending our call today, and we would like to join you uh, to wish you a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.